Hello and welcome to The Swim Brief. I am Chris DeSantis, freshly home from my Danish tour, and I am joined, as always, by the indomitable Joel Rawlings. Joel, I'm well, thanks. And you? Doing all right? Looking fresh? Look, looking ready yeah, to roll? I'm, yeah, I think, I think I may have finally recovered from an international yeah. <laughs> travel here uh, on Thursday. I got back on, on Sunday, yeah. and... Um, I got a I got a topic loaded up for us today, and, and you and I texted about it ahead of time. But the idea was, uh, you know, I was in Denmark and I was following Caleb Dressel's return to competition. And you know, as many people know, he uh, has been away from competing for quite some time. I mean, uh, I think maybe it's been over a year since he's competed, and uh, he was very open about the fact that he was taking a break that. Um, that it had to do with mental health reasons that he, you know, just felt like continuing to compete, continuing maybe to push himself to that level just was not healthy mm -hmm. for him. And, you know, I, it's not just Dressel that we have heard this from, right? I, I've covered also in this podcast, most notably Adam Peaty, um, is somebody who is right now in the midst of a break and has cited a lot of uh, similar similar circumstances for why that break is coming across. You read an article today, Swimming World Magazine, Michael Jameson, a silver medalist um, for Great Britain in, in breaststroke, talking about um, some things along the la same lines. I was, you know, seeing that Taylor Ruck uh, broke her hand. She's an athlete that you know, has uh, been really open about some stuff that's going on with her mental health and, and how that has uh, taken her away from perhaps competitive, competitive co competitions that she really wants to be a part of. Um, and so I guess where I start with is when we read stuff like this, like, cause I read stuff like this and I think the, the article that really tipped me over was I was, saw the swim swam headline, like, Dressel no-shows 100 free A final. And it just made me think, like, even as a headline, I know that, um, especially early in his career, Dressel cited that a contributing factor to some of the struggles he had was the way that he read about himself, and particularly actually comment sections yeah. that he was reading about articles about himself. Um around the sport of swimming. So I, I guess the conversation I want to have is like, what responsibility do we have as people that are fans of the sport of swimming, people that love swimming to discuss what's going on here. And um, I'll, I'll let you start with that prompt. And uh, cause I've got a couple different directions that I want to take. With. Yeah. I think all this is really interesting. I think, um, I, I think part of it is sometimes you get people like, well, you know, I haven't seen this before. Why is this all coming out? You know, people of today, you know, not me saying this, but what I've heard is people saying that, you know, athletes or this generation is soft. And I, and I think it's obvious that these things have always been there. It's just now people are starting to finally open up and, and, and talk about it. And I think that actually makes them a lot tougher in a sense because they're throwing out their vulnerability, showing that, you know, this, this is something I'm, I'm struggling with. And I'd like to stay in the sport, you know, even though I'm struggling with this. And so as far as responsibility, I think, you know, obviously I would like to say that obviously we're responsible that, that we don't do this, that, that they're listening in a sense. I think it, that, you know, mm -hmm. 
he is Caleb Dressel seems like especially someone that's always listening. You know, you talk about like NBA players like a Kevin Durant always checking his Twitter, always doing same thing here is obviously is they're checking their social media posts. And so the things that you say are being heard. And I think so many times like people, you know, they come off like, I can't believe how soft this person, you know, signed anonymous, <laughs> you know, it's like, so, right. so you're, you're throwing stones from behind your keyboard, you know, all of the, the, the keyboard muscle kind of a thing. Um, I, I think part of this, I think there's a lot of layers to this as to what's causing this. And part of it is obviously social media access people have to speak directly to an athlete in a sense and speak in a way that they wouldn't say face to face to an athlete in this experience. And part of this too is, is the weird dynamic of being a pro swimmer. Cause I, I think part of it, it's, it's not like the NBA where you're getting paid by the league to perform. It's not like, you know, a, a team sport where you're getting paid as a professional you're making your money partially on maybe the meat itself, but a large part on this, the sponsorship behind you and on your social media followings. And so you need to cultivate this access level that a normal athlete doesn't have to do. And therefore, I think it opens them up a lot more if they want to be professional, if they want to actually make a living doing what they're doing. You know, a big part of the revenue is going to come from social streams and contact with you know, the hordes of trolls that are out there. Yeah. I mean, so that's, that's a part of it that I think about is that that's so hard is that right now it seems like I, I feel like the, the narrative has almost become that, you know, struggling with your mental health is a byproduct of being like a, a very high end swimmer. Like it just, it, 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 it almost makes it seem to me like it's dangerous to be a high end swimmer. And maybe it's the idealistic part of me, but like, I, I don't want that. I, I, I love the sport of swimming. I, I want it to be, um, I want it to be a, a net positive experience for the people that are doing it, especially the people like, Caleb Dressel, who, or, or Adam Peaty, who do things that, you know, like are so exciting to me as a fan of the sport, you know, that just like th they do the things that honestly, um, you know, have me glued to the TV set when there's a big swim meet, you know, when there's, when the, when the Olympics rolls into town, um, these are the people that I want to watch perform. But, you know, it's like the same for me as I guess, like back when I was an NFL fan, you know, I started to think like, what is my responsibility as a fan of the sport? Because I'm reading all this stuff about guys getting concussions and like, am I supposed to just cheer? Like we used to, I mean, you and I both grew up in the era when there was, um, you know, ESPN would run that yeah. highlight clip called Jacked yeah, ten, Up. Ten greatest That would just be like helmet yep, to helmet yep. hits. Right. Just, just guys getting abs like the most violent, you know, collisions you could possibly imagine in football. And I think people said like, okay, maybe we shouldn't do this anymore because as what we're doing here is potentially celebrating guys having life altering injuries that have serious consequences for them um, later in life. Now, I don't think we have a, I don't think we have the, the same thing in the sport of swimming, right? We don't have a highlight reel where we go, 
like, hey, look at this moment where um, Caleb Dressel like made himself feel horrible about, you know, not doing X or Y or Z. But I still think like we have a culture in the sport that definitely reinforces some stuff that's not good for people at their mental health. And when that stuff gets scaled up to like the highest of high levels, yeah, I think it's, it can be, it can be dangerous for some of the people that are up there. So I I think it's worth having a conversation about, you know, what, what is it in our culture that can make it um, so bad for, for people to, to be at that level without saying like, without, you know, kind of going to the other childish end of the response while being like, well, he wanted to be a pro swimmer. So like, this is how it is. So like, suck it up, buttercup. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's a, there is a way to, to navigate that. And I guess that's, that's sort of what I'm looking for. Right. I think one of the things you brought up though, I think might be endemic to it as well is the idea you're glued to the TV screen during the Olympics. You know, it's, it's just the nature Mm. of the sport is there's only so many performance opportunities, you know, where, where it really counts, where, where everything is kind of riding on that. And so, again, what makes the sport different is your Olympics, your World Series, your Super Bowl comes once every four years. And that doesn't always line up with your peak performance time. Um, also, it's like you have that one chance to perform. And again, you could say, well, a Super Bowl athlete has that one chance only also. Right. But but they're not their whole career isn't built around that idea of you're going to get this one shot. It's coming to you. If you get it, you get one shot. That's it. Where in in a team sport or something like that, that's it. Again, it's a a one time thing. This has like a four year lead up. He knows, you know, he he should be. And everything is always the pressure. Well, you should be the number one. You should be the there's no other. There's no second. You know, there's, there's no fallback. There's no, like you did well, your team can also, you know, carry you, whatever it is. It's all on him to perform that one time, knowing full well that sponsorship follows on that uh, followers fall on that. And it, it, you know, his revenue, his livelihood falls on that one moment. Um, and so that it becomes one of those things where there's no, like, I'll just, you know, throttle back a little bit because again, when you're in a sense, a pro in business for yourself, it, you know that if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. And so the, that pressure on him is always mm. moving forward. So, but I wonder, I mean, if I could put a positive spin uh, contrary to what you just said on what these two guys did is I think very much possibly you could look at what Caleb Dristle did, not as a, you know, I have suffered this terrible mental injury and I need time to recover, but almost as like, okay, if I'm going to um, keep pushing this forward at the Paris Olympics, then the best thing for me, the way to make that most possible is to take my foot off the gas right now, because it, it, it will not give me the best chance to be successful then if I just keep my foot on the gas for the next, you know, from whenever he took the break to whenever Paris was, is, you know, maybe 27 months, he looks like it actually gives me a better chance to pull back for 12, 14 months versus just keep pushing forward. Um, But I guess, 
you know, I, I don't necessarily want, I do, I don't know. I want you to challenge me on this. If you think I'm being too idealistic, yeah. <laughs> I guess I, I, I want there to be a world where keeping your foot on the gas is good for you. I don't think it's possible. Yeah. You know? I, I just think, again, that, that everything moves kind of in wave-like cycles. I mean, our training moves in wave-like cycles where, where you have up, down, things like that. I think if it – and so I'm thinking just the physiological end of that. Obviously, there's waves to that in his trainings like that. But I think mentally, you, you need that wave-like cycle as well. And I think – again, I'm just trying to think out loud. I, I think actually if I'm going to boil it down. I think the idea of the, swimming being a pro sport is so new that people are really just finding their way and to find that cycle of how do I back off? How do I give myself a mental break as well as the physical break? Because the idea of obviously we've just kind of come around from the eighties idea of just train, train, train and thinking that real recovery is the time where adaptation occurs. The same thing's going to happen mentally. You know, if you're always on, if you're always push, 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 then the adaptation is never going to occur. You're always just kind of like, I need to get better. I need to get better. I need to get better. Um, and, and again, this, this pro mm -hmm. set of, of athletes out there, again, they're finding their own way in the NBA. You've had generations of people like, this is what this person VH1 behind the scenes, you know, you're watching the rock stars. This is what they do. They form the garage band. They hit it big. They get into drugs. They break up. They fall apart. Years later, they come to a reunion. I mean, the, the maps laid out on VH1 for, for rock and roll. But for swimming, like what, what's, what's right. the roadmap for, for a pro athlete? How are you going to make your money? Are you going to make it by just swimming? Are you going to make it just off of uh, Speedo or Arena or whoever giving you deals? Are you going to make it off of social media? And it looks like there's a lot of different avenues right now that are, that are possible, but you or I don't really know the end amounts that these athletes are getting. Obviously, like Michael Phelps has, has done very well endorsement-wise. After that, we don't know anyone else that's done well. You know, obviously, you get a few, but – but not enough where, like, is it a sustainable thing where for the next 30 years they're going to make money? You know, like, like Rowdy Gaines, like, falls into what he's doing. Um, you know, there, there isn't any real roadmap. There's not a lot of those. You only can think of, like, one or two athletes like that. And so I think about with, with swimmers when they start out, like, they're 10, 11, 12, whatever their dreams are, whatever they're trying to do for swimming, it's not like I'm going to become a pro. You know, it's, 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 it's all these other idealistic things that we have for youth sport. In basketball, you ask a 10-year-old or 5-year-old or 6-year-old, like, I want to be in the NBA. You ask an 8- or 10-year-old, they might be like, I want to go to the Olympics. But they're not saying, I want to be a pro swimmer yet. You know, maybe eventually that comes down the road. But then all of a sudden, they get into high school. They're in club swimming. Again, it's, it's a different um, relationship you have with your coach and with the sport. And then these athletes that go into Division One, now all of a sudden it becomes transactional. And we hear a lot of these athletes also when it becomes about money, the coach-athlete dynamic is a lot different now. At a Division One level, it's just going to be. Mm. Um, you know, again, your, your spot on the roster isn't what it used to be. Uh, your, your spot on the team isn't what it used to be. And, and that changes. And so these, these kids have to navigate that. And now they're going to go become professional athletes. And I've, I've had a couple of friends that have coached uh, people who have gone on and become pros. And some of the concerns were like, how are you going to jump from – you, your training regimen has been set up for you. Your, your travel schedule, your meat right. schedule, everything has been set up for you. Your, your nutrition is set up for you in the dining hall. And now all of a sudden, you've got to navigate all of that. You have to navigate what the sponsors need. You have to navigate your own travel. 
your own rest and this meet schedule that isn't always conducive to you doing your best performance. Because maybe, let's say you have a, a television appearance or a photo shoot and you've got to be at a meet in a couple of days, you've got to fly in there and you have to perform at a certain level. I think there's a lot of things that go into this that we don't really see and I definitely wouldn't understand. I'm just kind of guessing as, as to what they're going through is, is that it puts a lot on them at 21, 22, 23. And for you to sit when not you, but for people like anyone to say, you know, th they should know what they're getting into as a pro. It's like, no, not really, because they, they no one kind of set out to be a pro in this sport. You know, eventually maybe they will, but we didn't yeah. set out to be that. It's just all of a sudden you're 24, 25 and you're like, well, what do I do now? You know, this is all they have done for a long time with everything being set up for them. Again, training schedule, meal schedule, et cetera, et cetera. And now all of a sudden you're on your own. Like, well, you can make money swimming. I'll keep doing that then. And not getting a chance to breathe. Yeah, I mean, I guess, so So I, I hear you in there. And I think the blueprint piece of this is really, really important. And actually, as you were talking about that, I'm thinking about coaches, like, you know, uh, because those are the people that um, I perhaps think about even more than athletes, this is really uncharted territory for coaches. I think that there's a whole skill set for coaching people, you know, way beyond the most of the existing team structures that we have. I mean, coaching a, a pro athlete, you're right. It's a completely different game with the kind of support that somebody's going to need at that level. And I think about this stuff a lot because, you know, I'm, I'm doing something entrepreneurial now and you know, a big piece of that is I have to manage myself. I'm my own boss, right? Everybody goes, oh, it's great. You're your own boss. Well, yeah. <laughs> how, you know, how well would you do on a normal day, you know, scheduling out all the things you have to do, like making, you know, deciding what tasks you're going to complete and which ones, you know, you can do tomorrow, allocating your resources in different areas. Like there's a, there's a, there's a lot of decision fatigue. Right that sets in. And I think you, 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 what you pointed out, I mean, one of the best examples I've, I've heard of this um, or seen of this is uh, in that documentary, Water is My Sky, where they have Connor Jager talking very explicitly about, um, this is, I think, in the lead up to uh, Rio 2016, that, you know, he, he leaves Michigan and he becomes a pro athlete and he goes, oh, everybody thinks that's going to be great. Like, I miss, you know, the dining hall. I miss my dorm room. I miss like, that having all this stuff figured out right. for me and now I just have to figure it out. So, you know, I, I, I do think that there is, I guess where I'm getting to is I think that there's a coaching level to this. And I say this again, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to come across first off at all as if I'm shaming these two athletes and I, and not, not their coaches either. Like, you know, going into uncharted territory you're right. That takes some balls like that. That takes some courage. And there's people out there that are coaching these guys and they're, they're doing that right now. So anything I'm about to say, it's not a knock on them, but you know, like if you were, you know, you were coaching at university of Wisconsin, whitewater, and you go like, Oh man, everybody's pretty tired. I better give them a recovery day. And they came back the next day. And everybody still looked exhausted. You went, oh, I guess I could better like take another, take it easy another day. They came back the next day and they still looked like junk. You'd go like, what was up with my training plan? This is not good. Like we have a problem here. 
right? Something something wasn't designed correctly that these um, these athletes that I'm coaching they're not recovering with just a with just a day off, right? We're talking about athletes that are saying like I need to step away for a year. To me, that shows that there's something dysfunctional in the system. And I guess the question that I'm asking is, can we fix that? Not necessarily, not necessarily fix the fact that, you know, training at a insane level for insane levels of performance isn't going to strain the limits of your body and your mind for sure. But like, is it worth thinking more generally about what we're doing at the coaching level when our best athletes are, are essentially saying to themselves, I've suffered such a serious mental injury that I need to step away for a long period of time. And that, that is what will lead me to the best. Place. My thought is, I don't know how much we can put on the coaches because um, I, don't, I don't think it's, it's not a physical thing. It's not like uh, it's not, it's not their physical training. I don't think that's doing it again. You know, in, I'm going to, I'm going to push back so no, hard yeah, on yeah. that, but go ahead. By all means do. Um, because again, their event, it's not, um, you know, hundred free, hundred flight sprinter events, even up to the 200 of breaststroke and things like that. Uh, I, again, it's like the, obviously they're training at a high level. Um, but there's a lot of different ways they can keep on physiologically training. I think that all of this is a hundred percent on the mental side of it, uh, of them being, you know, again, pushed down. And, and you mentioned like the entrepreneurial side, like you have, or like I've done, like where I'll, you know, people will, you know, pay, pay me to, you know, go through videos and do video analysis and things like that, or, or private lessons and things like that. And it's, it's nice. Cause they, again, the headache is, I, I set my own hours. It's, it, it's it's my own headache. You know, it's it's not like I've got to go in and I've got to do X, Y, and Z. This is my own headache. I, I I pick up more hours, and the more hours I pick up, the more money I make. And then it gets to be like I'm working Saturday, I'm working Sunday, I'm working Friday, I'm working. All these days start adding up, and I'm not getting a break and taking away. And I start to realize the other things are slipping. So I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll back off on a Sunday. And I'm like. Well, now I'm out X amount of dollars because I didn't do these clips. Yeah, and so. The, Again, it's not the strain of the work. Not that this work is the same as a dressels, you know, work. But, but <laughs> no, <laughs> neither of us are comparing ourselves Correct. to Caleb Dressel. Just to be clear, but I'm with Joel I'm on this one. <laughs> physically, that's usually not the the deal. It, it's it's the the again, it's the mental side of it. You know, the the amount of stress that you have, what what you're giving up, what what's being taken away, all the other things. And so, my my thought again, I don't know either of these athletes at all. But I'm, I'm thinking that, again, the stress of the person training, training, training without having that release, without having that outlet is, is a year-round kind of thing. There's, there isn't really an off-season for them. And I think more than anything, I, just how intertwined the mental and the physical side of the body is, is, is one of those things that's just kind of starting to come out. I used to think sports psychology was separate from physiology, but it's actually it's, it's unique. It's just entwined with the nervous system. And so the same thing, I think that, again, yeah. the physical side, from what I've seen in other sports, a lot of times the physical side of it is the release. It's, it's the way, I mean, this is a terrible example, but it's the only one I can come up with. So feel free to edit this out. I remember when Kobe Bryant was amidst all the scandal that he put himself into, he would talk about how when he got on the basketball court, 
that was his release because everything was in his control. He knew what to expect. He knew the plays. He knew what his body could do. As soon as he stepped off, the reporters questioning, the lawyers, the attorneys, the flights, that's what it was like crushing down. Again, not a great example, but I'm just saying that again, and I, th- I believe in an athlete's world, when you're in the gym, when you're working out, when you're training, that's, in a sense, your release away from the stress of the uncontrollable. And I think a lot of times what I've seen is when athletes become overwhelmed, it's because they feel they have a loss of control. Yeah, so I guess, so here's here's where I come at it. And then here I am probably going to be going a little bit harder after some people in in, in this response. And that is... Um, I remember actually also in the lead up to Rio, this was um, this was an instance where, like, for instance, Australia, when you like looked coming into the meet, Australia had a lot of people that were the fastest in the world. And you would guess by that nature, then favored to win gold medals. And I'm not saying like I, I'm not of the mind that, you know, like people winning silver medals or bronze medals or whatever at the Olympics is like, is a disappointment. I don't, I don't let that enter my mind, but I think the Australian team was disappointed in their performance. And I was reading the coverage of it and I was listening, you know, especially I pay attention to what, how the coaches are interviewed Mm -hmm. afterwards. And a lot of the, 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 the coverage I saw and, and the coaches statements were sort of like, yeah, I mean, we have some great athletes on our team. They just weren't mentally prepared for this. And I'm kind of like, I read that and I think that's your job. Like, you know, you would never, you would never come in and say like somebody, you know, didn't perform up to expectations that you coach in the Olympics and you go like, yeah, I guess I should have gotten yeah. them in shape for yeah. this meet. Ah, yeah, the, the know, race like, car had a great engine. It just needed gas. I don't understand that. Yeah, we forgot to put gas in it before. Like, so I think you're, you're, but, but it's a byproduct of what you just said. I I think because people have viewed that as an other category and because people have viewed that as, well, it's kind of an unknowable, nobody really knows what to do. So like, you know, you can't, I, 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 by the way, I don't mind this because I don't think we're going to shame as, as much as I just maybe shamed some Australian coaches, I don't think we're going to shame our way out of this situation. I think that, um, um, you know, looking at this and going, okay, but this, we can do something about this. There is, there is a more positive path forward. You talk about the, the, the nervous system. What I see right in this is, you know, just in the same way with physical training, you can go too far to where you, you, you injure somebody's nervous system and all sorts, you get sort all sorts of negative side effects from that physical side effects from the training, you know, the way that people motivate themselves to train at a really high level, ultimately, um, it can be damaging, but it doesn't need to be damaging. And I, 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 one of the things I, I believe is that, you know, when people get to the fringes of their potential um, and they're trying to motivate themselves to do something, you think about even yourself as a coach, think about all the moments when you acted in a way that you were probably least proud of yourself as a coach, 
You know, those are, I, I, I've, I told a story about one on one podcast. I was um, coaching Cena bro in Denmark, an absolutely amazing swimmer um, who went to the Olympics in 2021. And I was coaching her at a, a team championship in Denmark. Okay. And uh, so we had this team championship event. It was the only meet where score was kept every year. And I was the team we were, we were both on um, had just moved into the first division. It was like, you know, sure. soccer division tiers. Right. And we're at this meet and, you know, it's, it's like everybody's swims, get their points, FINA points totaled up and that's your team score. Um, and, you know, Cena is in the hardest possible training, um, that she's been doing all year, uh, leading up to this event. And she shows up to this meet and she is just like dead exhausted. And me as a coach, I am also dead exhausted. I'm at the end of my rope. Um, I have some people that are like no showing the competition, um, I have a nine month old baby at home, you know, I've barely been sleeping. Um, I'm, I'm having a hard time in my personal life, you know, being that, uh, first, like having that first kid. Um, and then I, I, I show up to this meet and I remember like, you know, she, she, she swam not great in her first race. Um, and, uh, I just remember like losing it, you know, that, that I was just like, I, I, it was one of the only times in my career as a coach that I felt like I actually went after somebody I was coaching personally. Right. It just wasn't their performance, but like I was frustrated with her as a person. And I'm, I'm ashamed of that. Um, but what I, why I tell this story is because I think when people get to that limit, like you're the worst version of yourself and, um, athletes, they, they do coach, especially very, very high level athletes. They're coaching themselves a lot. I mean, we want them to coach themselves, but I think they can turn into the worst coach that they've ever had. <laughs> in their life, worse, a worse coach than you could ever imagine, um, really having in this modern day and age. And, and you're, you're saying the worst things to yourself to get yourself motivated to do these things. And that's the part where I think it's worth coaches, you know, getting to another level, sure. um, and helping athletes to build a different way of motivating or expanding or expanding the capacity to motivate yourself in a way that, you know, doesn't, doesn't damage, doesn't, doesn't do that psychic damage right. to you. And, you know, I think, you know, coupled with that is also this championship mentality that we've all kind of started to develop, you know, where if you didn't yeah. win, then, then you didn't really do anything, especially when you're an athlete like a Caleb Dressel or, or Adam Peaty. I mean, what, what was Adam Peaty's like, I forgot what, what project immortality or, or what is it? it, it project immortal. I think. Uh, yeah. And, and so like, boy, I mean, he kind of, I, when he, when they said that alone, I'm like, boy, that's, that's putting everything on your own shoulders like that, you know? And so now it becomes one of those where there, there's only one outcome when you put something called project immortal down, 
you know, it's, it's not bronze, <laughs> you know, so it's definitely not, it's not silver, right. you know, it's not like, Oh, the immortal second place, you know, there's this nonstop sniping, things like that. And, and people will say that and, Oh, I was just kidding. It's in print. And this is what the athlete's going to see. This is what the athlete's going to hear. This is what a reporter will ask. You know, again, how did you fail like that? And you, you're second in the world. You know, again, it's like, it's such an elite stratosphere, even to be at Olympic trials, much less an Olympic team. And then to be a gold medalist in a multi, you know, event winners, I just, uh, I, again, there's, there's no place to go. And I think that's also part of this pressure is the idea that where else are you going to go? Everything else is seen as a failure at this point. And we saw like, you know, the Michael Jordan in that too, where, where all of a sudden the pressure is getting to the point where, and again, this is Michael Jordan, the guy who's like, you know, one of the most competitive people in the world, you know, the Iron Man of, you know, competition. And, and even he was like, you know, what else are you going to do? You get to a point that right. there's nothing else. It's like, if you make it to the NBA finals and you lose, you've lost, you might as well not have gone that kind of a mentality. And so again, these athletes who don't have that structure in place, that roadmap in place of what's happened before. And you see like a Michael Phelps going out, gold medals, gold medals, gold medals. You know, we don't see like the typical, like, athlete fading away you know again where there's 25 26 27 28 and you're like wow that's awesome you're still in there in the top 50 in the world at 28 years old you know it, we, we don't we don't ever say that there's no congratulations to that and so i, I think as we move forward i think the the psychological component of these things is going to start to become more and more important in the coaching kind of toolbox rather than just hey we're going to grind we're going to do this you're going to get tougher than nails and that's that yeah I mean, you, you, you talk about, um, you know, getting to that highest level where everything, you know, any kind of, uh, if you don't maintain basically perfection, right. Um, it can feel like a, a step backwards and it's actually really interesting. You bring up project, um, immortal from Adam Peaty, because one of the things I saw in the recent coverage from him is he talked about how he had launched that and in the interim, I can tell he's been doing, he's been working really hard on some of this stuff because he, when he talked about it, he said, I realized I'd already achieved the thing that I, you know, was setting as like a, a future goal. I mean, the guy, like the guy is a legend correct? in the sport of swimming. Like he's already achieved it. He, he is immortal for, for, I will remember him and, um, you know, future, future swim nerds will remember him. They'll just like, look back at him and go, Whoa, who is that guy who was just way ahead of his time, you know, and just like moved things so far forward. And I guess the piece of it is, I think when you're, especially when you're just headed upwards, right? Then most swimmers go through this period where it's just like, you're getting better, you're getting better, you're getting better. I think one of the dysfunctional things that comes into play is that you start to believe that what makes you good is your success. You start to believe that like that is the quality that ensures that, that, that got you to that place that you have, you are successful now because you've always been successful. Right. And so then, yeah, like whatever you deem as failure at that level, then all of a sudden that like, you know, you can feel as if that pops the bubble. Mm -hmm. Now I'm not, good anymore, right? I was good because I was always succeeding. Now I failed, not good. And in reality, 
I mean, Adam Peaty was an athlete who um, didn't really even get serious about swimming until age 17. Mm -hmm. You know, he was watching the London Olympics and he went, yeah, I could, you know, I could beat those guys. And then he went out and did it. Hmm. And I think to me, that story is more about somebody who actually failed a lot of times, but kept the dream alive, kept, um, kept finding ways around situations that would have stopped a lot of other people that would have been, they would have been like, Oh, it's too late. You know, it's all these reasons. He found a way he was creative enough to get past all of those things. So, you know, he has this moment now where he maybe perceives that he's failing, but, but failure is what has made him great. Not succeeding all the time. One thing I was just thinking about also is, is the idea, like you said, of keep on pushing. And I think that's part of the athlete mentality is like, well, I'll just work harder because you think about it, when a kid is in a group is 11 and 12, they're doing really well. Like, well, geez, what do I do now? How do I get better? We start doubles, 13, 14. We're going to bring in doubles twice a week, 15, 16. Hey, I'd like to, let's go three times a week, 17, 18. Hey, we got 10, 11 practices a week. And, and you keep on adding and adding and adding and adding. And eventually all of a sudden that work side is, is maximized. And that's kind of what brought drugs into the whole sport is, is the idea again you can't work any harder well you can't recover any faster because you're maxing out the work right. cycle you need to recover and, and so i'm not saying anyone's on drugs here i'm just i'm just saying again that it just shows that it has a limit at some point you've worked as hard as you can in a sense it's like um the, the analogy that you you've built the biggest engine you could build you, you built it as big as you can go with the time you've allotted and your ability to adapt and recover this is the size of the engine and then you're like, all right, yeah. well, then how do you get the car faster? I'm like, all right, well, then we can work technique. We can work, you know, get the technique down and starts. It turns. And then at some point when you've, we've never, ever stopped and gone, you know what? You've maxed it out. Great job. You know, you, you've done a great job. What, what you've given a hundred percent of what your body can give. You're at your peak. We, we always, I think because we've, we've never had the athlete that's has hit that. There's always like that little extra. Like I think about, the seniors I coached in college, when they're done with their, their last event, you're like, what do you say to them now? You know, you're so used to giving a critique. You're so used to giving, we could do this right. next. Telling them what's next. Yeah, this yeah. is next. And then it gets to the point of like, there isn't a next. This is it. Well, what happens when that athlete yeah. has that, there, there isn't a next. This is it. And they still have a career. And so the idea is how do you switch from the idea of you've got to keep doing this, 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 to you have to sustain and hold everyone off now, you know, it's just, right. it's just a different right. mindset and different mentality. And again, we're, we're in such uncharted waters because it used to be, you know, Olympians would be like seniors or fifth years in college and that's it because now they got to go find yeah. jobs and now they can stay as long as they want to. Um, but again, their, their, their ability to stay as long as they want to is going to be predicated by their ability to make money doing it. Or at a level that they're comfortable with. You know, we see sometimes like a 35-year-old at Olympic trials, you know, just making it there. Again, feeling like that's good enough. We're, we're good there. And, and that's a very, very yeah. hard thing to do, especially when you've been number one for so long. You know, how do, how do you stop doing that? Yeah, I mean, I guess where I, I, I think that there is an opportunity here for coaches in that, in that, you know, these, these amazing athletes, they have such, you're right. They have such a capacity to take on work like that, you know, 
universally. I mean, they are just able to take incredible amounts of training, stuff that we've never seen before. And, you know, you feed it into them and they just turn it into gold. I mean, like, you know, they, they, they just come out the other end. But I think, you know, it's so, so tempting right when you, and you've got to push to the limit, right? To, 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 to keep improving. But when you get to the limit to say, I'm going to squeeze here locally right now in this moment for a little bit more, because it works. It does. It does get you, you know, an extra, I don't know, 5% in the moment, but those moments are like high interest loans. And eventually you have to pay it back. You know, like you can squeeze for a little bit more right now. You can squeeze um, all the way past your limit, but you're, you're gonna, there's going to be a cost to that. And it's going to come due sooner or later. And I think if we can continue to refine our sense of like, when are we at the limit versus pushing past it? Um, I'm not saying that anybody's going to get perfect at figuring that out. But I think especially um, with on the motivational side, on, on the side of how athletes are getting themselves to do all of the things that they do to train, I think we can improve a lot. And I think that'll have a better outcome for, for the people that are doing the sport. I, yeah. I always try to think like, what would be the take home message for me as a coach? Because again, I would go to a clinic or something like that. I'm like, Oh, well, we'll just, you know, we'll do 18, 100s on 54 seconds ready to go. You're like, again, I don't have that. All right. We're going to, we're yeah. going to do lactate testing. I was like, I, I don't, I don't have that. And so I'm thinking that the thing that would be the difficult part for coaching is getting past the you know, we always think that like, you know, analyzing is, is the hard part, like figuring out exactly what it is that they're going to need to go faster. I think the hard part is analyzing what's needed to go faster, but also at the same time, giving them an ability to, to back off a little bit, get, you know, get off the gas a little bit, but still not lose that competitive edge. Because again, once you say, right. you know, hey, let's, you know, stop and smell the roses kind of a thing. And they get going again, you know, versus the, you know, because that's always been the, the thing is like, we're afraid that if we don't have that next thing to kind of keep driving for, that the drive is going to be gone for good. And yeah. at least that's, that was in my, I eyes. mean, Caleb Dressel is not going to tolerate, like, listen, I, I'm just guessing, I'm not coach Caleb Dressel. He's, he's not going to tolerate pushing to 95% of his capability. Right. He's not going to be fun for him. That's why he's great. He, he actually wants to go to 100%. Mm-hmm. So, but, yeah, how do you figure out when he's at 105? And in a sport like swimming, too, it's, it's again, I, I hear about in other sports, too, basically like the idea of two elevators. You know, the physiological elevator keeps going up when you're 18, 19, 20, you're playing basketball, football, baseball, whatever it is. And then your skill level is going up. And that's usually like a, there's a point when you reach this greatness. And then at some point, the physical level starts to decline and you're, you know, the, the understanding of the game keeps going up. And so you're still able to perform at a very, very high level. At some point, though, yeah. again, the, the elevator for a 50 free, you know, start, turn, break out your stroke mechanics. You know, that, that's the part of the elevator that, that, that can go up. But at some point, that elevator only goes like the third or fourth floor. That's the end of it. And that physical elevator is coming down. And so there's, it's just going to be a natural decline at some point that, that all athletes are going to hit. Once you're out of that peak power zone, that's it. What else are you going to do? It's not like all of a sudden you become that savvy veteran 
that just figures out hey, how, listen. how to read defense coverage. Yeah. I got to meet this weekend. That's not what I need to hear, Joel. You know, I got to meet on Sunday. I don't, the, the, I don't need that kind of negativity well, in my life. The, the, for master swimming. <laughs> Telling me I'm out of my peak power zone. Uh, Come on, man. Uh, this is the positive of it is, is you're really not trying to get faster. You're just trying to outlive everyone in your age group so that eventually you become the only. <laughs> it's basically master swimming is like the 80s movie Highlander. Yeah. There can only be one. Yeah. That's all it is. Right yeah. now there's thousands. Yeah. Eventually there will only be one. And you just want to be one of those. That one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did it at the first meet I went in January. There was a guy in 70 to 74 who was just like, I'm just so psyched I made it here because uh, now I'm the only one at this meet in my age group. So I get all the gold medals. If, if we want to go dark. <laughs> and I was like, if you want to go dark, think about that. Yeah. Looking around you like, I remember this, this heat used to be filled. And now, yeah. now I yeah. got lane four. Yeah. Um, anyway, I think it's been a great conversation. I appreciate, as always, and maybe even a little more spiciness than you, you're used to from Joel and I. We we disagreed a little bit more on this finally. one. Um, than we normally, finally. Yeah, we, we've been working up to it. Um, I want to tease something with the Magic Five. Um, people know who are listening to this podcast um, the magic com slash the swim brief. Uh, they have a Memorial day sale coming up. So, you know, uh, if you've been listening to the podcast, you, you follow that link, you can get 15% off and, uh, and support this podcast. But, um, magic five is going to be giving an additional 15% off and the, the discounts are going to stack coming up on Memorial day. So it's not going to be, you know, the same, the same discount. It's going to be 15% on top of 15%. Um, for memorialists, that's a lot of money off a custom fit pair of goggles. Um, and, uh, we'll probably have a new link for you here in a couple of days, but I just wanted people to start planning on that. If you got plans for a new pair of goggles, you've been thinking about magic5.com. I love mine. Joel loves yeah. his. Um, I got to meet the guys who founded the company and actually see a pair of goggles made in Denmark. Um, it was so cool. There was a robot, <laughs> you know, sculpting a custom fit pair of goggles. It was, it was really a sight to behold. Um, and, uh, and, uh, you know, it, 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 it's going to be a great opportunity coming up. Uh, they just let me know before the recording of this podcast. So, um, look for that, be ready. And, uh, the magic com slash the swim brief, Joel, thanks for being here. Um, I'll see you again in a week. Thank you to everybody else for listening. All right. Thank you.